Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Hello to all the new listeners. I know our numbers were huge. We were top 50 on iTunes podcast rankings after last week's extravaganza of the Locked On NFL mock draft special. We're keeping it going. Some great shows for you this week leading up to the NFL draft and after the draft, breaking everything down on today's program. Matt Miller, draft analyst for Bleach Report, joining us to talk about everything, news and rumors and rankings as we head toward Thursday night's first round of the 2020 NFL Draft. And Matt Williamson will give us his safety rankings for the 2020 NFL Draft. Don't forget to tell a friend about Locked On NFL and let them know that their team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network daily. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. Our guest today is Matt Miller of Bleacher Report. I'm sure you already do follow him. And if you don't, find him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout and also the Stick to Football podcast. Matt, it must be an interesting few months for you. I know you're a 49ers fan, but you live in the middle of Chiefs Kingdom going from the Super Bowl, rolling right into your busy season now, which is draft season. Yeah, it is. There's there's no break anymore. You know, when I started doing this a decade ago, it was like you kind of took the summers off and hung out now it's you just roll right in from one class to the next I'm, I'm sure as you guys do it as well so it's 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 fun i'm really fortunate to have this job but it, it's it's <laughs> like this draft will end and the next one starts immediately yeah it's pretty amazing and it's a year-round nfl experience which is great for somebody who does a daily nfl podcast like matt williamson and myself uh <laughs> i do want to get into the top of the draft here we've got to talk quarterbacks because it's the most intrigue every year at the top of nfl drafts and I want to know what you're hearing the latest with Tua Tagovailoa, because there's whispers of him now falling out of the top 10. And I got to ask you, have the Miami Dolphins pulled off the greatest smokescreen in years by getting everyone to believe that they like Herbert at five? So not only do they not have to trade up, but a team like the Chargers won't move in front of them and Miami can just kick back at five and take the guy they wanted all along. I hope so, guys. I really do, because I'm <laughs> such a huge fan of Tua. I really am. So it's that's the hard part of this job. And and, and I think for anyone who covers the draft deal you know, full time is you get stuck between what you're hearing and what you think could happen and what you would do. And so for me, Tua is my number two quarterback. He's my number six player. Makes sense, right? Draft the guy at five. But I, I will tell you, like over the last couple of weeks, everything you hear from people in the league is that Justin Herbert is the guy. And like you said, this could be the most elaborate smokescreen ever. Uh, this is, you know, a, a front office and a head coach that have ties to the Patriots. So Maybe they know what they're doing better than the rest of us, but um, it, it just does not sound like the more people you talk to, you, you really can't find anyone who says, yeah, but this could be, this could be Tua. You know, like they're putting it out there that they want Herbert, but it, it really could be Tua. And I think even what we're seeing, you know, as we're sitting here together Monday morning, you know, reports like that the Giants did a lot of work on Justin Herbert. They're doing that for a reason. They're, they're not putting out there that they're talking to Tua. And so I think where does Tua land? If he thought of the top 10, I would be surprised. I think the Chargers make sense at six. And then after that, you know, it almost becomes a trade-up situation. I don't think the Panthers or the Jags are going to do it at seven and nine. So you you hope that someone, you know, like the Raiders trades up. Or you hope that someone like the Patriots, like the Colts, you know, whomever, uh, these teams that might need a quarterback. It does become difficult if he doesn't go five or six. If Justin Herbert doesn't go five or six, it, it's a hard thing to figure out where those guys might go. If Tua falls to Belichick, I'm going to lose my mind. Right? <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's that simple. Like, it's going to be, you know, DiMaggio to Mantle in center field. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's not fair, right? And right. It's, it's going from Favre to Rogers. You know, it's just something shouldn't happen. Um, and I think, like, Matt, you've been doing this a long time, too. You know how this goes. Like, it feels like every year we're like, man, if this guy fell to the Patriots, you know, it's just it's almost too good to be true. And and it's never happened yet, but maybe this is the year. You know, a couple of years ago it was, what if they move up from Baker Mayfield? You know, that was the big talk that everybody was super excited about. So maybe this is the year it happens. Um, we've seen crazier things, but two out of the Chargers or Dolphins, just maybe I'm just stubborn. It feels like we've been talking about it for almost a year now that he's going to be a, a top five or six pick. So it's it's weird to think that later this week it might not happen. I want to switch gears to cover guys because your your scouting notebook's great. Everyone should read it all the time. You have a couple notes in here, centraling or you know, mostly around C.J. Henderson. I mean, we know this league covets press man corners, and it's is there a chance he challenges Okuda? That seems rich to me, but it also you know another bullet point in here is. Atlanta loves them and would probably have to trade up quite a bit to get them. And my last part on corners, I would hate to, I've been saying this all along. I'd hate to be the team that has to take the third corner off the board. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think with CJ Henderson, will he jump uh, Jeff Okuda? I don't think so. I, I think, you know what, maybe there's a chance because of his man coverage skills, the four, three, nine speed at six, one, two Oh four, maybe. Right. But Okuda still feels like the, the logical pick at three overall, or if the Lions trade back uh, and end up at five or six. So I think with Henderson, there's a good chance he goes seven to Carolina, nine to Jacksonville. Or, as you mentioned, I wrote this past Friday, if Atlanta trades up. And we know Tom Dimitrov will be aggressive if he feels like he needs to be. So I think that's where you start to find the sweet spots, whether you're doing a mock draft or just what to expect on Thursday night. Henderson's going to be picked between seven and 16. That's what you can feel really, really good about in that range. And where that exact spot is, I wouldn't rule out Oakland at 12, depending on what receivers are on the board. Um, I, I think, you know, he's he's going to find a home with one of those four teams. Yeah. And with those receivers, could a team like Oakland say, oh, man, we do like a lot of receivers. They could go C.J. Henderson at 12, get maybe Justin Jefferson at 19. Is that a better combination than getting Lamb or Judy or Ruggs at 12 and whatever that third corner is at 19? And when I say Oakland, I mean Las Vegas, of course. Yeah, I actually advocated for that a little bit because like like Matt said, the third corner, you know, whomever you believe that is, is is definitely there's a drop off. Well, the fourth wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, I don't think it's that far of a drop off. So I think that's one thing you have to consider is, OK, we got these two clearly established needs. And you could say this about Jacksonville as well at nine and, and 20. Do you just take the corner first because you want that number two corner? And then you're comfortable getting Justin Jefferson at 19 or 20 overall. I think that's a really smart way to attack team building, you know, to look at this and where are the strengths in this draft. We know it's strong at wide receiver. We know it's not as strong at corner. So it, sometimes, you know, you get caught up in draft the best player available at nine or at 12, when sometimes it's better to take the best player at a position of need and then come back a little bit later and get that top one of the top receivers still. Matt, does this LSU offense give you a little bit of pause? I mean, it's just so much better than it was a year before. I mean, does Brady and Burrow raise all ships too much? You know, like Jefferson's not the most imposing athletic guy. Edwards Hilaire wasn't a super recruit. Their tape's awesome, but is are we getting a little ahead of ourselves? We've never really seen this before, such a jump. No, we really haven't. And I think you have to be cautious because 
a lot of people are going to point back to that, like Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, USC team, you know, that two years yeah. of dominance where every player on offense ended up in the NFL at some point. So I think that you have to be a little bit cautious and aware, at least of the talent level that LSU had. But I think with them and what's unique is that there's context. You know, you can look at that offense and say, all right, Joe Brady came to town. And what did that mean? It, it means that he modernized that offense, not just in route concepts and timing and the flexibility they gave Joe Burrow, but also in, in little things like protection, you know, using five-man protection instead of six or seven-man protection, getting more players out into the route tree, getting, you know, faster routes to where, you know, how many times do we see Burrow take one on the chin this year, but he's delivered a strike that's perfectly on time. So I think the, that is where I look at it and feel more comfortable because they just started playing NFL football at LSU. You know, for years we've said, God, if this team had a quarterback. Well, they finally sure. got one. And, and with that quarterback, they also gave him all the tools he needed with really good personnel, right? Let's not take anything away from those guys. I think schematically, they just opened a lot of doors for him. Yeah, the coaching and the scheme and really opened everything up there. It couldn't be more different than those old uh, LSU squads. I want to stay on that theme next. More NFL Draft with Matt Miller coming up. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the game, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And yeah, getting those beverages on top of dinner is key. And if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. You love food? That's why you'll love Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery deliveries, convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. So no more trips to the store, which is so key right now. No more late night fast food runs. You don't have to worry about where you're going to grab lunch. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNFL. That's code LOCKEDONNFL for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Talking LSU and that offense, when it comes to Jefferson right. and the fourth through whatever 10th wide receiver is there a big gap? How big is that gap? And who is actually the fourth and fifth wide receiver on your board after those universal top three in Lamb, Judy, and Ruggs in some order? Yeah, I don't think there's a gigantic drop-off, guys. I really don't. So I would have Justin Jefferson as the fourth receiver in this class. T. Higgins is the fifth. Brandon Ayuk. So I have a little bit of a drop from Higgins to Ayuk, Denzel Mims, Michael Pittman, K.J. Hamler, Jalen Rager, and Chase Claypool. But I have those players. Wide receiver six through 11 are ranked in like a, a 15 ranking cluster you know they're all grouped there together and and what's fun about it is a lot of those guys aren't alike you know Brandon Ayuk wow. is a lot different than Michael Pittman who's a lot different than KJ Hamler who's a lot different than Chase Claypool so you're, you're also getting some diversity in skill sets which I think that's what makes this wide receiver class so exciting it's not that there's 15 guys who could be starters it's that they're all pretty unique you know there's not a Julio Jones there's not a Calvin Johnson but there's this really diverse skill set of, do you want a Debo Samuel type? Okay, there's that guy. There's, you know, do you want a Tyree Kill? There's Henry Ruggs. Do you want Odell Beckham? There's Jerry Judy. Do you want more of a strong possession receiver like a Hopkins or Michael Thomas? 
Well, there's CD Lamb for that. So I think that's what makes it it really fun for me to evaluate that position is, you know, it's just what kind of flavor do you want at the position? You can find it in this class. A name you didn't mention there, and I'm looking at your list and you have him 12th, is LaVisca Chenault. Why is that? Yeah. Injury is, is the okay. biggest thing. And okay. I'm just worried about that, you know, the core muscle injury. I like him as a playmaker, and I think Chenault's one of those guys Monday morning after the draft, I'll look at it and say, man, now that I know where he is, I'm either going to love or hate the fit and okay. wish you could move him up or down, right? If he somehow ends up, you know, in San Francisco, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Indianapolis, somewhere where they're just going to get him the ball the space and let him make plays, I, I like him a lot better. But, you know, the injury is a concern. I, he's much faster than that four five eight he ran at the combine. I don't worry about that. Just haven't seen him stay healthy to where he's consistently dominant. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, LaVisca Chenault, uh, Antonio Gibson's another really hot name right now. If you see one of those players land in New Orleans with Sean Payton, you get really excited, but I could see those careers go in a very different direction depending on what team they land on. Yeah, and Gibson's interesting because it's like what you almost feel like you have to you know, commit to a position with him, but you don't want to. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, he – he was basically a receiver at Memphis, but a lot of folks think he'll be a running back and cut in the NFL because he maybe doesn't have the hips to be a great route runner. I see him as just an offensive weapon. You know what? Call him whatever you want to call him. You know, just get him the football in space, hand it to him, throw it to him, whatever you got to do, because he was so electric for Memphis. And it's crazy that they keep finding those guys. You know, like they have Tony Pollard last year. That you know they have so many good players in that offense who just find ways to make exciting things happen so I think that's the dream is that you take Gibson you take Chenault um, you know late later rounds you take Joe Reed and you say like okay you're great at this one thing I'm just gonna ask you to do that and let beautiful things happen sticking with skill guys on offense I've been saying that to me there's five backs that are all in the same tier and they're all different flavors of ice cream too I like you Mm talked about receivers but just looking at your grades and your overall board it looks like swift is pretty clearly your number one he is in it i'm surprised by that even as i know that's my <laughs> ranking i'm surprised by it because i do have i have concerns with him you know he was never a bell cow back he's got the shoulder injury i, I love what i get from him when he's on the field and, and i think in some ways he reminds me so much of alvin kamara that i'm hoping he takes that same next step that we never saw you be the dude in college, but you did enough special things that I believe you can do that in the next level. You know, same with Clyde Edwards Alaire. Aren't many guys in the NFL who, who are five foot seven, two hundred seven pounds, but he's just that low center of gravity. What he does as a receiver, you kind of fall in love with these guys' skill set. And the I think the hard thing about doing this job on a national level, you're looking, you're you're making a board that's not scheme specific or team specific. Right. So, you know, if DeAndre Swift goes to the Dolphins, is he going to be a good fit with, you know, what they're doing offensively? Or, you know, if Clyde Edwards-Alaire goes to the, the Steelers, is he going to be a good fit for what they do offensively? So you have these rankings of skill sets you like best and you're doing your best to forecast how good these dudes will be at the next level. But, you know, ultimately it, it's so much of it bounces back to where they land and what type of situation it is let's talk about big people for a minute here enough with the the little fast guys and i know a lot of people are excited about their fantasy football squads but i think sometimes fans get surprised by how early big people go in the nfl and nfl gms and coaches love them some big men i'm having a tough time figuring out what order these offensive tackles will go in and then how early could someone like Derek brown go i've heard talk of him at number three and i see him 
fall all the way into the teens. So I don't know what to think about the big guys in this class. Do you have a clear picture of where those guys could go? I have a clear picture of which teams will take them, but not where they will go. That's the hard part. Like with the tackles, the offensive tackles, okay, four are going to go in the top 14. You could say conservatively. That's not that hard to figure out. You know, the Giants probably take one, the Browns, the Jets, the Buccaneers, maybe the Cardinals, um, maybe the Jaguars, but you feel good about those spots. And with Derek Brown, like you said, three is probably the, the ceiling for where he would go. But, you know, like he's not getting past probably Arizona at number eight overall. So, you know, there's going to be five of those guys. Like you said, the big guys drafted in the top 14, and you could probably add Javon Kinlaw in there as well if you want to make it six. But I think this year more than ever, we're going to see inconsistency with how people rank these guys. There's not a consensus on who the top tackle is. I might like Jedrick Wills. You might like, you know, Mekhi Becton, and Matt might like Tristan Wirfs. You know, and they're all mm-hmm. good players. It just it, – it goes back – I think it's going to go back to, you know, what you want from your scheme. Wirfs, who had an electric combine, pro-ready coming out of Iowa, you know what you're getting there with his athleticism. It, with Wills, you know, at Alabama, yeah, you were a blindside protector for a left-handed quarterback, but, you know, can you do that on the left side in the NFL? I think that's why there's questions about him. And then Andrew Thomas doesn't have a lot of athletic potential – but he was two-year starter at left tackle in the SEC, and he saw everything there is to see in terms of pass rush types. So, you know, there's there's a big difference this year, a big swing basically, and what type of players each of these guys are, even though they're ranked so closely together and will probably ultimately be drafted really closely together. Matt, last question I have for you, and I know you're super busy this time of year, and thanks for joining us. Um, tight ends aren't a fun, sexy group this year. But not to put words in your mouth, you seem pretty excited about Cole Komet, and clearly he's your one. Yeah, I like Cole Komet a lot. I just think <laughs> he's he's prototypical. You know, he, he's yeah. he can play in line. You can I think he's athletic, and he to be moved around a little bit. I compared him to Kyle Rudolph, so I think you're getting that. You know, kind of above the rim, six six two sixty. You know, with good athleticism and and can make some people miss and, and and be a very special player over the middle. You're right. After that, you know, like Adam Trotman's a good player. Harrison Bryant's a good player. But at Dayton and FAU, respectively, who did they play? You know, they dominated mm-hmm. those levels as they should have. So I have, you know, I have questions about how well they'll, they'll translate. Feel much better about Cole Komet. Is there a surprise name that shows up for you late Thursday night? And I talked about, you know, a lot of maybe casual fans that'll be watching the draft. Maybe the best draft TV ratings ever this year. And there might be people expecting running backs and wide receivers at the end of round one. And then they'll see names like Ezra Cleveland and Isaiah Wilson flash across the bottom of your screen. Will we see a run on some more big people later in the first round or some names that maybe a casual fan is like, who the hell is that guy? I think those are two very good ones. You know, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry at LSU might be another where people are like, what? Like a center went in the first round. Uh, And then, you know, there's always the small school guys. You know, do we see someone like Kyle Duggar, you know, from Tiny Lenore Ryan, does he pop in there? Does Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois uh, pop into the top 32? If not, they're going to go really early on day two. Uh, ben Barch, the offensive lineman from St. John's, is probably going to go, you know, round late round two, early round three. And, and I, I don't think many people, you know, who don't cover football for a living could tell you where Lenore Ryan or St. John's College are. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, God bless the people who are going to be on network TV covering the draft and are going to have to say, like, hey, Lenore Ryan's in North Carolina. Um, and, and, you know, kind of hammer home to the, the casual fan, uh, you know, who some of these guys are, why they deserve to be drafted so high. That is Matt Miller of Bleacher Report, also the Stick to Football podcast. You can find all of his work at Bleacher Report 
and at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. And Matt, we have about 15 seconds here if you want to let the listeners know about your the, the foundation and the charity work that you do. Yeah, I have a foundation called the 417 Foundation. Uh, basically, uh, the goal is to provide you know coats, clothes, and meals to underprivileged kids and families in the, the Southwest Missouri area. So it's uh, something we have a Twitter account. We do raffles of memorabilia and, and kind of some fan experiences to, to try to help out. So it's something I'm very proud of, and I appreciate you guys asking. Yeah, That's you bet. Awesome, dude. Appreciate it. Fantastic stuff, Matt, and uh, always a pleasure chatting with you. Hopefully, we'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you guys very much. I appreciate you having me on. So Matt mentioned the the safeties there in a name, Jeremy Chin, Kyle Duggar, that could sneak into the back end of the first round, some high upside players from smaller schools. So Matt, let's check in with your rankings and finish up the show with safety rankings. And do you have any of those names of the small school guys sneaking into your top five? Yeah, I watched Duggar and I understand he's big, strong, great at the combine, showed up well in the postseason games. But I just didn't think they asked him to do much. It looked like he would just kind of line up off the line of scrimmage about 12 yards. Something would happen in front of him. He'd close and blow it up. You know, I just yeah. didn't see a ton. So he was right outside my top five. Chin is a little more impressive in that he's taller, a little heavier, tested a little better, makes more plays. But I still have some concerns about Chin, too, in terms of his recognition skills and I've even seen him lumped in the you know do it all linebacker safety conversation within like an Isaiah Simmons light and I just think that he better show me better play recognition in order to ask him to do 100 things and I've seen some of that with Kyle Duggar too where and and they're not quite big enough to be a full-time linebacker but they're so good coming downhill especially Duggar like you mentioned they're like look you're the best player out here in this entire conference so go find the ball and go tackle the dude. Like, that's your job. And with Chin, he had a little bit more where he was getting his hands on the football, more in coverage. And actually, Chin, despite how big he is, I think he started out at corner, started games at cornerback. So there's coverage skills there, which I really like, which is why I see him as a safety first that could come down in the box, be a dime linebacker rather than the other way around. So an interesting prospect there in Jeremy Chin. And when you get your hands on that many footballs and you blow up the combine like he did, he could go high. And I guess it shouldn't be a shock to people if he does sneak into round one. And we had talked about this off the air about how many safeties we think will go in the first round. If Vegas put the over under at one, which way would you go with that? I think I'd go under. I mean, that's a good one. I mean, if it was 0.5, I'd probably go over. But I don't feel strong about it. I mean, Chin is my fourth. I really think Winfield, McKinney, and Delpit are very different, but I could have those three in any order. And I really like Ashton Davis, but I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. Um, I lean towards no. I, I just think that McKinney seems like the one that is mocked the most in the first round. Is he a special enough defense changer to add as a first-round pick? I kind of have my doubts. Yeah, that's a good question. And the order you have them in, you've named your top five here. The order is Delpit, one, Xavier McKinney from Alabama, two, Antoine Winfield, Jr. from Minnesota, three, Jeremy Chin, Southern Illinois, four, and Ashton Davis out of Cal, five. And I tend to agree with you that probably despite some some rough tackling on tape, especially in 2019, and he did have an injury that might have led to that, um, not really wrapping up and using his arms very well, like an absurd amount of broken tackles through Grant Delpit. And it's a big red flag. I think it was 22% of his tackles were missed. So if you, if he shows up on an NFL team and he's 
missing one out of every four or five attempts, he's going to find his butt on the bench real quick with a, with a defensive coach. But Del yeah. Pitt's 6'2 frame with his range, being able to be that single high safety, I still think that's why he's going to be the top safety because the rest of these guys just don't have that ability that is a, is a wow ability for Grant Del Pitt. So I agree that's why he would be number one is because that center field coverage range. Right, and he can come down and play the slot. Tackling was horrible, but he had really bad ankle problem. He had a hard time coming to base. And, and when I did the rankings, I said, uh, hey, Grant, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. You know, I saw really good tape from you two years ago. And now, you know, this last year with the missed tackles, it was I'm going to blame the injury and hope that we're getting – last year's version of you and even like when the Steelers traded for Minka that was like what week two week three immediately I got asked a hundred times you know like well who's the best safety in this draft who could they have got instead of Minka and it was obviously Delpit at that point and to that point he looked like a top 10 type pick Ashton Davis too so if you're a team and you don't get Grant Delpit early maybe on day two you're looking at a guy like Ashton Davis who's a former track guy that has that athleticism. He wasn't able to run at the combine, and I think that hurts his stock a little bit, but you might be getting someone who could play some of that center field for you, and he's got some toughness to go along with it. He's not just a track guy out there playing football. Yeah, he comes from a really difficult upbringing, walk-on track guy with great speed, pure center field type safety, which I always give a little boost to because they're harder to find, but can come down and play the slot. We didn't get a time on him, and that seems to be hurting him, at least with draft nicks on Twitter and whatnot on the internet. But he's another one, like, I don't know that I need a time. He's fast. Any other names when you were looking at safeties down the list a little bit, a sleeper, maybe day three or something like that? Um, I love the way Antoine Winfield plays, but I put him third just because of 5091, which means he's 5'9 and an eighth. And, but boy, I love his game. I like the safety class. Like, I'm sitting here looking at a list. Terrell Burgess, Brandon Jones, Kayvon Wallace, Kenny Robinson, the XFL kid, is kind of an, an interesting yes. one. Geno Stone, Antoine Brooks. So I think if you're in the fourth, fifth round neighborhood for a special teamer slash developmental safety, you could do okay. Kenny Robinson is the name that really just doesn't get brought up enough. And it's interesting. he played yeah. well. He gets his talking about getting his hands on the football, and he did it in the XFL too. So he showed up against guys who've been in the NFL before, and he's the rare prospect that is in the draft still but went the XFL route. And so he had the most recent tape, and his level of competition is pretty high there in the XFL. So I think that will help his cause. And uh, I don't know about workout numbers because he was doing XFL things and not doing the combine, but Kenny Robinson is really an X factor in this draft of the safety position. Doesn't really get talked about much, but uh, it could surprise people where he goes. Yeah. Again, very interesting. We've never seen someone take that path and be eligible the way he is, but he's another one that's a deep middle defender um, kind of plays like his hair's on fire. I mean, he's a high variance player that'll get beat at times, but you know, he's got a lot of experience for being, you know, someone that's going to be a, a mid round pick and maybe more. I mean, he's, I don't want to call him a sleeper because everyone knows about him, but I think he could be a long-term starter. And we might say, boy, team X got that guy in the fourth round. He's a really good player. It's getting close. Fun episode, Matt. Thanks to the other Matt. Thank you very much again to Matt Miller for joining this show. We'll be back tomorrow. It's getting so close. We'll have our Twitter Thursday, Thursday morning, draft day morning as we get ready for the real thing Thursday night. And we'll be back breaking down the entire first round Friday right here. Locked on NFL.